And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers can be difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, and they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. All right, friends, we are going to be talking today about a a topic that is near and dear to my heart. You've heard me talk about STEMinists before on the show, and we're going to be talking about a leader in the space. We're going to be talking about gender and science and how to get young girls more involved in things like coding and science and math and all of those beautiful things that, that contribute to our world so nicely. We have with us today Eliza Kosoy the founder and CEO of Eliza Dolls. Welcome to the show, Eliza. We are so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm very glad and gratified to hear that. And to that end, let's go ahead and get right into it. Let me ask you, tell us about your journey. Sure. Yeah. So my journey starts uh, in New York, in Brooklyn, where I was born. Uh, My parents had just freshly immigrated from Ukraine. They came to America on April Fool's Day, which I feel like sets the tone for our life. But um, (laughs) fast forward a couple years, um, as a little kid, as a little girl, I was very obsessed with dolls. What a shocker. (laughs) And building very elaborate dollhouses out of cardboard. I used to like eat all this yogurt so that I could have stools for them. And anyway, just was a huge part of my childhood. I think that's kind of where the journey starts for sure. And this obsession with dolls and building And then in college, I was a math major, um, a big part of growing up too in my family with my parents being from the Soviet Union was their obsession with math. I always say like people from Russia, math is their first language and then Russian. (laughs) So we were, we had to do math every single day. My dad would write us all these worksheets and we couldn't play until we did our worksheets. And then of course I hated math by the time I got to college and then Um, then it's all that made sense to me. And I really fell in love with it again. And that was a part of my journey back into STEM, I would say. And so that's kind of where I first realized that there was this lack of diversity in STEM. Um, It was, seemed very male dominated to me. And then after graduation, I started working in a lab at MIT, where I noticed this even more intensely. The gender disbalance was just, it was really something that was difficult for me. And that's kind of where this all started. And so, yeah, that's kind of my journey to creating. Yeah. Well, that's, that's quite a journey for sure. And I, and I want to, I definitely want to delve into Eliza dolls and, and what you do tactically, but I'm going to start us kind of at the, the big picture. 
And I want to ask you, you know, you, you said as you were coming up, you noticed that there was this very wide gender discrepancy. And so my my question is, why do you think that is? And, and I'm going to lead you a little bit and, and tell you that I understand that there are many, many different factors that contribute to the the kind of systemic problems that, that women face in STEM fields. But I want to hear it from you. So, so talk to us about some of the contributing factors to that discrepancy. Yeah, I think that's a really good question and a difficult question to answer. But what I have found um, anecdotally in doing some STEM outreach with children is I think the problem really stems from childhood. I think the things you play with as a kid really stimulate your interests later on. And mm-hmm. there seems to be this huge hole um, in the market for there's just not as many STEM toys for girls versus boys. And I really think that could be a huge contributor to what's happening. I think that so a little more backstory is I'm a PhD student at Berkeley where I'm finishing my PhD in child development as it intersects with artificial intelligence. So I've done a lot of work with children and thinking about yeah. this. What I've seen, you, you know, obviously childhood has a huge impact on your life, but the things that you play with and get curious about are so important. And, yeah. you know, if you show a kid a doll or you show a kid a train with, you know, hardware inside of it and connectors and things, you know, that's going to lead them down one way versus a doll might lead them down another way of thinking and getting curious about things. So I think that's, you know, why parents are so invested in exposing their th- their children to these concepts early on. But I think partly what might be happening is that we're just not showing girls the right toys or the right engineering marvels in yeah. a way that they would be interested in it. And that could be a reason. And I think later on when you're in college, I think it just gets worse and worse. Like if there's less girls in your class in high school, then you're less likely to join that class. And then in co- the statistics yeah. just get worse, the higher the degree gets. And from my, you know, from my experience, it was just difficult being in spaces that are very male dominated. And even though I'm interested in the subject, just being in that space is so stressful that I'm like, is this worth it? So yeah. I think that it changes as you age. But I think that it's really important in childhood that we're providing the right tools that will actually engage both genders in STEM topics. Yeah. Well, and I love that you're talking about the the beginning of that journey, because what's really interesting to me is when we talk about the the lack of women in STEM, I, I try to think about things from the 10,000 foot view. And, and what's really interesting is like, as in everyone's life, at every point, there there are always points along the journey where you make a choice or something happens to you and it changes the trajectory of the rest of what you're doing. And so, you know, to your point, if we can get more girls interested in STEM early on through play, that's one of those hurdles. And then, you know, as they grow older, all right, we'll have we'll have a larger pipeline of girls who are interested in STEM who can then go into those STEM classes and the math classes that they might have otherwise avoided because they didn't have that foundational knowledge. And then as they get older, as we see more and more women in the pipeline joining STEM fields and studying STEM, STEM subjects, as we see more and more of that happen, you have this kind of trickle up effect uh, where you see working environments become more uh, 
inclusive and more concerned with gender equity. And you see more leadership, representative leadership of women within these fields. And so, so it's really interesting by kind of going back to the, one of the roots of the issue and addressing that. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with Eliza dolls. Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, the products and, and how you're doing that? Totally. Yeah. So Eliza dolls, it's an 18 inch doll, which is the size of an American girl doll. If you're from, it's like a bigger doll um, that has hardware inside of it. And the whole goal is to expose girls starting at age five early on to concepts of hardware and software through something that they actually want to play with. And this was born out of me. I do a lot of STEM. My mother's a librarian. So I've got access to libraries, and so I always librarians yeah. cannot beat librarians for finding information. Oh, like I, they are the unsung heroes of our society. I swear. <laughs> yeah, and I think that um, where we live now, which is upstate New York, for suburban culture, libraries are such a draw for the community. And so I was doing a lot of um, because of my frustration uh, in you know I was seeing how all these labs are so male dominated and I was like okay it starts in childhood I'm going to try to fix this I started doing all these outreach you know learn to learn stem topics at the library events and yeah. so I would use current products on the market and then that's where I first saw I'm like wow the girls don't want to play with this stuff I mean it's all blue it's robots it's race cars it's not their fault <laughs> they don't want to play with it it's just not it's kind of like not interesting to them. It's not what they grew up playing. We know that girls and boys have different play patterns. So basically what Eliza Dolls is doing is saying like, cool, girls like dolls. We know this. It's cool. It's okay. They pl- We play differently than boys. Let's embrace the creativity that comes with dolls and pretend play and role play, how little girls play. And let's basically sneakily incorporate hardware and software into that play pattern and make yeah. something that girls will want to play with and parents will want to buy their daughters. And the way that the dolls work is there's kind of like this little computer inside called an Arduino. Yeah. It's basically like a little computer that you can code. You code an app, the code goes over Bluetooth and you plug in different sensors and there's lights and music. And just to give you an example. So if I plug in the color sensor, then I can build this project where the doll will match my outfit every day, where the you hold up any color to the color sensor. So let's say like my daughter's wearing a purple outfit today. She's going to hold up her shirt to the color sensor. The color sensor is going to detect the purple. And then the lights, which are like in her jewelry on the doll, will all light up that color and the doll will match her. So basically every project, and it's different for different ages, but it incorporates like hardware, software component, but it's fun and it's girly and it's playful and it's cool. So basically that's how it works. And yeah, we're pre-launch right now. So we're finishing the prototype right now and sourcing factories and hoping to launch on Kickstarter within a few months, but that's the product and that's why I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you that I, I just felt very girly for a moment because you were like, you can match your outfit. And I was like, wait, I want one. I want a doll that I can match my outfit. Like, that's really cool. So so I'm assuming that as you were developing the product, you you sought out a lot of feedback from young girls. So talk to us a little bit about that. What were what was some of the feedback that you were hearing as you were trying to design this very appealing product? Yeah, this is a great question. So I'm very lucky at Berkeley, They um, one of the options to live if you're a student is called University Village, and it's basically family housing. So if mm-hmm. you're like a couple or basically if you have children, it's kind of housing for people with families. And so I don't have kids, but everyone around me has kids. 
So yeah. I just kind of put up posters around the village and posted on the Facebook like about what I'm trying to do. And I, I know a lot of my neighbors very well. So that's how I would collect my data as well as testing at children's museums in the Bay through my PhD, because I did some scientific work with the doll as well. But the fe- the feedback was hilarious. I mean, I get the little girls are very honest. Some of them are very sure. sassy. Um, a lot of projects were shut down early on. So for picking the sensors, a lot of them were shut down. I, I thought this one was so cool where it was like, a uh, sun detector for like when to put on sunscreen. I was like, parents will love that. But the girls were like, no, I like that was one that they shut down so hard. And then ones like the colors yeah. they really like. They like security alarms for their room. Um, I mean, I love little kids. So that was like the best part was getting all the feedback, but definitely was super helpful. And they were very honest, I will say. And I appreciate that about them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I, I feel as though you know, young children are probably your best source for market research. Like they're, yeah, they're going to be totally honest with you. They don't care about your feelings. They're no. like, hey, this is how I feel. Uh, well, I love that. I, I wanted to tell you a little story really quickly that's going to segue into my next question. But so, so one of the things that I do, um, and this this might make me sound like a jerk, but you know how like when you walk into like big stores, uh, department stores, I don't know, like the the big big box stores, mm-hmm. and and they have the clothing sections, and they typically break it up into boys' clothes and girls' clothes. So often I will find science branded things mm-hmm. on the boys' side, and then you'll go over to the girls' side, and you'll see nothing. Like it'll just be like, yeah. oh, dolls, ba- you know, babies, pretty unicorns, which is fine. Like if, if you are a young girl and you love those things, more power to you. Hell, if you're an old girl and you like those things, fantastic. But what I don't like is not seeing the option, right? Seeing those mm-hmm. options available. Because yeah. I think that that to me is what equity is all about. Making sure that everybody has options. Mm-hmm. And so what I'll do is I'll, I'll like, t- so the last time I did it was NASA shirts. There were like NASA t-shirts mm-hmm. and I've got like three. NASA t-shirts, but I took some of the ones from the boy side and I just took them over to the girl's side, like just snuck them in there. Like, Hey moms. And then, Hey parents, it's totally okay to buy your, your kid, uh, your, your girl child mm-hmm. science related stuff. So, so that's like my sneaky little mm-hmm. rebellion. <laughs> I love it. So, so that's actually, it leads me into what I want to ask you, which is this. Uh, what has the feedback from the parents been like having the option to offer their kids this enrichment opportunity as well as a play opportunity? Yeah, that's a good question, too. So I think it's kind of twofold. Some parents who have like very girly daughters, they just like immediately get it. And they're like, yes, here's my email. Here's my credit card. Like, I want to pre-order. I get it. Yeah. Then I have, it's the Bay Area, so we do have a lot of, you know, I live in the Bay Area. It's very, like, technical, you know, Silicon Valley is here. All the parents are here. Um, And so then some of the feedback I'll get is, like, well, why are you, why is it a doll? Like, they're almost triggered by this. And then once I kind of explain it and show them and the kid starts playing with it, because some parents are very opposed to, you know, dolls or very girly toys or exactly what you're saying. They're like, well, I want them to play with the boys' toys because that says NASA on it or something like that. Um, But then once they see that the experience I'm basically trying to create is just the perfect mold of those two worlds and just kind of meeting girls where they are, I think it kind of starts to make more sense to them. Um, Even with some of the advisors I have, I think at first they were like, wait, but I don't want my daughter to be playing with dolls. Dolls have this almost negative stereotype associated with them currently. And I'm basically just trying 
to kind of blend the two worlds. What I'm trying to say is like, you know, it girls really do like unicorns and dolls and pink things. And it's almost like we we have created this negative association with that because there's really nothing yeah. wrong with unicorns and dolls and all these things that we're considering like girly fluffy almost topic i know there's this whole like there's a lot of disdain around like chiclet for instance or like rom-coms and people are like why is uh, that like this is my guilty pleasure and i'm like why but why is it guilty like pumpkin spice anytime fall comes around people are like time to start making fun of basic bitches because they like pumpkin spice and i'm like why can't I just like pumpkin spice, man? Like, why are we gonna put all this negativity around it? Yeah, I'm basically just trying to say, like, you know what? A, why did we make this such a negative thing? And B, yeah. girls are liking these things. Let's use that to empower them instead. For sure. So if we're seeing that, like, they like these things, let's put the technology into that. That will just enable them to have the choice to be interested in STEM when they're older. So then when they're in high school and it's like, do you want to take this programming class? They're like, oh, yeah, I've been coding my doll for years. Like, this is this is yeah. the this is nothing. And I just wanted to be like, okay, like I really love glitter and all these things. And I always feel shame for these things. And why is that? Like, You can be intelligent and you can like, quote unquote, girly things. And I'm basically trying to create like a new generation of quote unquote girly, but is cool and stuff. Yeah. And that's what I felt, you know, at MIT, like I really couldn't be girly. I felt penalized for it. Like the girly yep. I would dress, the dumber people would think I, you know, if I wore a skirt, God, you know, God forbid. You certainly can't be attractive and smart and you yeah. can't be feminine and smart and you can't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no, just totally that. so that's what I'm trying to basically make it okay and, and bridge that gap and start it young. Because as you know, the biases already are developing at age five for yeah. girls. So I'm just trying to kind of curb it and show that it's cool to be who you are, what you're interested in, but also be smart. And here's how you can pursue these topics if you're interested in them later on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so I want to bring up, like, I, I've always found this to be an interesting analogy and I'm going to kind of stumble my way through it, I'm sure. But when we talk about issues of equity, so for me, equity is not giving everybody exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. because if you do that, you see the discrepancies that already and the inequities that already exist widen. And so the, the analogy that I can use is, um, you know, there, there's this graphic that periodically goes around on social media and it shows uh, three kids trying and they're trying to look over a fence to see a mm. ball game. Right. Yeah. And then one, they're like, well, you know, if we give the, everything to everybody equally, you would still see the kids of different heights. The shorter ones would still struggle to see over the fence because he gave them the exact same size box and it wasn't enough to propel them or to, to allow them to look over the fence. But if you give them a taller box than the kid who can already see over the fence without the box, then that is actually, that's where equity lies. When you give people the tools they need to avail themselves of equal opportunity. And so when you're talking about, well, why is it a doll? You know, in my head, I'm like, you know, that that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, boys can play, can also play with dolls. Okay. Anybody can play with dolls. So it's not as though this is an exclusive product that is only designed for girl children. But that being said, all you're doing is you are applying a little bit of 
extra assistance and a little bit of that extra support that girls often need to overcome obstacles, challenges, and barriers that they will experience on their path to a STEM career, mm-hmm. right? Is that kind of how you view it? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love that. And so, so I want to ask our founders listening at home, you know, like when you're kind of looking around your environments and you're wondering who's not at my table. And I mean, I get tech founders calling me all the time. How come women aren't applying for jobs? And I'm like, oh, I have thoughts, believe you me. You know, when, when these kinds of things are happening and you're seeing these glaring discrepancies, I would just ask you, what tools, resources, and support can I give my teams and can I give my community to signal and to allow for, for those differences? Um, and so, so I just wanted to kind of call that out. Also, really quickly, just want to remind you that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. And y'all know I am a full-scale super fan, my friends, but when you use the full-scale platform to define your technical needs, you can see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team really quickly, and it's super convenient. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. Well, so, so we've kind of touched on the dolls, Eliza, and we've touched on the need, but I want to talk to you a little bit more about your methodology. So you said that you are, you're, you're in pretty early stages and Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about like how you got customer feedback, but what other processes did you put into place as you were developing the doll? What were some of the things that you were looking at and trying to address? Yeah, that's a good question. So like I said, I'm, I'm in a PhD, so I feel like I kind of attack things from a scientific mind. So when a lot, like I get this question a lot, like why a doll? So one of the things I actually wanted to study in a scientific experiment, and it's a part of my PhD research now is, do girls prefer to code a doll? So one of the experiments that I ran um, with kids 5 to 12 in the Bay Area at the Children's Museums that we test was, um, I asked girls and boys, um, I basically showed them the little computer that you can code. And I said, we're going to be coding today. So here's what we're going to code, this little computer. And now you have the choice. Which, do you prefer to code it inside of this doll or do you prefer to code it inside of this race car? Um, and, you know, just to you know, find out for myself, like, am I crazy with this doll hypothesis? And what I found was in the girls, 75% of them prefer to code a doll and the boys, 95% prefer to code the race car or the robot. Um, I'm doing a couple of follow-up studies now, but this was kind of the first glimpse I really had where there's such a clear preference in little kids. There's a statistical significance. Um, I ran this with over 50 kids right now, and I'm going to do a couple more studies, but things like this are what went into me designing the product and thinking about the product and really making sure that it's something girls would want to play with and prefer to play with and kind of show that there is some difference in, in their preferences. So that was a big part of it. And then, yeah, a lot of user user feedback is very key. So I think yeah. those are the two those main honest things. little girls, man. Yeah. Yeah. You, can't, you can't escape them. But... And the parents. I mean, the parents have a lot of feedback too. And um, some of them, they don't even give it to you right on the day. Like a lot of it came in follow-ups, which I found fascinating, um, which is another part of the study, which is what happens after you interact with this doll. So first, when I was just testing my neighbors, you know, like a week later, 
a mom would send me a photo and be like, oh my God, look, she's trying to do this robot thing. It's totally your fault because you made her play with that doll, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Um, and then what I was finding, so then I've made that a part of my study too, where I follow up with parents a week after the interaction. And I say like, did anything change in your child? And so many parents were like, oh my God, now she's asking me about my, my computer when I'm working or can I join this coding camp or this and that. So I think what's really a big part of the research too is the impact that an interaction, a positive interaction with coding can have on a, a young girl. That's huge. Yeah. So basically like if at age five, anyone listening to this right now, if you can just go out with your kid or your daughter um, and have a positive coding interaction with them, that literally has lifelong effects because then they always look back on that moment as like, oh, you know? So that's something that I see happening with the doll and was a part of why I wanted it to be the way that it is and the feedback I got from parents, which was like probing them in these ways and like having them think about coding and making the inside of the doll clear so they can see the hardware really makes them question like, how do things work? What's going on? What's my mom's iPhone? What is that? Why is that working? You know, so things like that. You, yeah. You are going to be responsible for so many parents coming home and finding that their little girl like took apart the po toaster like yes. while they were out or something like that. That's what yeah, that, that curiosity about how things are built, I think is kind mm -hmm. of one of the cornerstones of a love for tech, you know, and, and entrepreneurship really like, problem solvers, figuring things out. Those are kind of the core constructs of who you have to be mm -hmm. if you're interested in these these fields, right? Yeah. And I think especially having the confidence to be like 18 and say like, oh, I took apart the toaster when I was seven. That's huge because a lot of people, sure. if they're only getting into it later, then they have all this anxiety that they're not good enough to. So I think starting really early on is so key. Here, yeah. Well, and I, I think we know, you know, imposter syndrome can affect everyone, but I, I do believe that it affects women disproportionately. So anything you can do to kind of shore up someone's instinct and belief in themselves, like, honestly, you know, one of the things about being entrepreneur, like I always tell people, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur. I always had lemonade stands. I always babysat. I always like, you know, I always did all of these things. Like it was one of those things that was always in me. And so therefore it was never a question mm -hmm. that I was this thing and that I could be this thing because it was a piece that was already in me. Now, a piece of that puzzle that you are, are addressing very, very well is that representation piece. Like mm -hmm. as, as, as a child growing up, I needed to not only believe that I was an entrepreneur, but I also needed to see other women entrepreneurs who looked like me, some who don't look like me, but you know, I needed to understand that it is po what is possible through representation. And so if your hypothesis works, and I imagine it will, as we start to see more young girls engage in STEM, they grow up, they become STEMinists, scientists, mathematicians, what, engineers, whatever it is, that begets more progress, right? It becomes exponential growth because for each person that you see, you know, each woman that you see running a lab, you're mm -hmm. going to see three people coming up behind her and saying, I was inspired by that individual and they mentored me and they championed me and they showed me that it could be done. Right. Yeah. So that is that the goal? <laughs> yeah. And like, for example, I'm in a PhD with a female advisor. Her name's Allison Gopnik, and she's been my hero for so many years. And just working with her, yeah, has just showed me like it is possible and that it really mattered to me to have a female grad advisor. So, yeah. I yeah, think for sure. Representation matters for sure. 
I, it, honestly, like, it, it would be really, really terrible of me to not, you know, talk about the fact that, that I believe in, that I believe in exclusivity and inclusivity at the same time. Like, sometimes I think that it's really important to have safe spaces where you can go somewhere and you know that someone, like, I can look at you, Eliza, and I can say, she's a woman. And we have very different experiences and we do very different things, but there are pieces of our journey that are similar. And I can just look at you and know that. I don't even have to ask you about your experiences because I know that you're a woman, right? And there's comfort in that, knowing that someone has been where you are and that you have the opportunity to be mentored by them, to ask questions, to to talk to them. Um, I, I love you talking about your mentors. Who are some of the other folks who have helped you along your journey? Oh man, I, I've had. I'm so privileged. I've so like your Oscar speech moment. But if you forget anybody, I don't think anybody's going to hold it against you. Um, in college, um, it was amazing. Um, the chair of our math department was a woman, Yulia. Um, she was incredible, and then um, she really helped me see like I could do math, and it was cool, and it was okay. She helped me get summer internships, um, which was incredible. And now I have Allison Goffnick at Berkeley, who's an incredible mentor. And you know, I think uh, some of the other people that are advisors to the company, like Anka dragon she's a professor at berkeley she's a leading roboticist in the field and is just incredible and i love her um rupee core who's a very famous poet and writer i i have to tell you i saw that on the set list and i got so excited because milk and honey is actually like my favorite poetry collection and I, i i wanted to ask you i was very very curious as a poet someone who is fully entrenched in the creative uh, what do you, I'm going to ask you to speculate. Why do you think she wanted to get involved with Eliza dolls? Well, I think Ruby is really, you know, a, just like a feminist icon. I think that she's interested in investing. I think, you know, a lot, there's a new movement too in getting women to invest now. It's such an, also a male dominated industry. I think that's really right. cool. She's trying to get into that. But also I happened to meet her through a, an innovation prize that I won. Um, she was one of the board members for it, and that's how we originally met. Um, so she's kind of been there for the journey for quite a few years, actually. And I think she really just believes in education for women. And I just think she really cares about promoting women in any way, whether it's STEM or poetry or creativity. Um, she's just really an icon and inspiration to me as well. So I think that's yeah. probably why she wanted to get involved. <laughs> Well, and I know that probably wasn't a super fair question, but I, I do have to tell you that I was I was fascinated when I was like, oh my gosh, like I love her. Yeah. Uh, well, so so that is that is really cool. Now I want to ask you. I'm going to take us back out to kind of like the big the big lens again, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say, why do you think gender diversity in STEM is important? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, so I've seen firsthand why it's important. So let's just say you're working at a lab at MIT. You guys have all the money in the world, all the brains in the world. If everyone in that room is like a privileged white male nerd, then the way that in which they're going to solve the world's problems with all their money and all their brains is going to kind of help one type of person, right? If you have 
diversity in that room and different perspectives and opinions, then that's how the world's issues really get solved. And that's the best way to use, I think, the world's resources of money and brain power to solve problems is to bring in people from all different perspectives, cultures, and that's how you solve problems. And that's why I really think that diversity matters, especially having more women, more people of color in these rooms, because that's how we get different opinions. And that's how the problems really get solved. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to, for our listeners, I'm going to go ahead and use a, a, a quick story to illustrate the point. I've used it before. It's a big, big story, uh, but it, you can Google it. But, you know, a while back, there was a, a large amount of controversy. Uh, Google had developed a, I think it was Google, had developed a facial recognition tool, mm. but their facial recognition tool was having difficulty identifying people of color. And the reason that it was having I difficulty identifying people of color was because when they were building the product, there weren't any people of color in the room. And so that when they were testing it and feeding this AI facial recognition software, the necessary information that it needed in order to identify faces, it didn't have any black or brown people to work off of. And that problem never would have happened had we seen more diversity in the room. And so I'm I when when we talk about representation and we talk about having those unique perspectives not only are we, we we're, we're talking about bringing viewpoints and we're talking about bringing different lived experiences into rooms so that we can ultimately create a better experience for end users. And you're absolutely right. Like you just you hit it on the head. Um, that is absolutely why we need to see more representation. So I, I love the dolls and I love the concept. Um, I guess my, my question to you is, what do you see as the future of Eliza dolls and how it fits into this kind of social change period that we seem to be in now? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And just to piggyback off what you said, um, there's a really great paper. The woman that wrote, I think, the original paper on that, her name is Joy. She was at MIT. I actually met her once a few times. She's super cool. And her paper, Gender Shades, I think it wasn't just Google. She looked at a lot of different image classifiers and showed the results. And it um, there's a great Netflix show, Coded Bias, about it. So I'm just a huge fan of that work. But the future of Eliza dolls, I mean, I think it really is just getting the doll into as many hands of little girls all over the world as I can, and really hopefully creating a community in which we can, you know, girls can share their code. And I'd love to do more outreach, like either at libraries or, you know, the dream would be to have like a Build-A-Bear center that's like an Eliza doll center that maybe looks like the Apple store, but feels like a library. And it's a place where people, you know, little kids can come and code and share and really build community and feel space building there, but it's also like a fun and creative space. Um, yeah. We're just getting started. So right now we'll be just selling direct to consumer through Kickstarter, but you know, who knows what the future brings and hopefully we can scale it, getting into some big box stores, et cetera. So that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Well, that, that all sounds super cool. What do you think it's going to take to get you there. I know that I know, like I, like I said, I know that you're early stage and I know that, you know, how do you make God laugh? You make a plan. So I'm not asking, I, let's not hold her to it friends, but what are some of the, the steps that you see as necessary to get to where you want to go? Yeah. I mean, the biggest challenge for me has been trying to create a, 
manufacturable product that won't cost too much. Like every feature that I want in here right now is so complicated. And I made the first prototypes myself. So I kind of went crazy. So I'm really trying to minimize the design on the inside, the electronics. And because right now I'm sending it to factories and they're like, this isn't really manufacturable. Fix this, fix this. So that's kind of my biggest hurdle right now is really downsizing it so that it can be scaled and manufacturable. And then hopefully just the reach of the Kickstarter, just trying to make that go as far as possible and raise enough money to really uh, meet the minimum purchase order from the factory is kind of my two biggest challenges right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I, I wish you the best of, of luck with that. And um, actually I have some thoughts and we should talk offline, but <laughs> so, so I asked you, you know, what it would take you to get Eliza dolls where you want to go. What do you think it's going to take to get society to where you want to go? Because you, you have some pretty deep goals, my friends, very deep and lofty <laughs> and wonderful, beautiful goals that I am 100% in support of. But what do you think it's going to take to get us there? I think it just takes like the length of a, a generation starting now. Basically, like if we get five to 10 year olds interested in these things now, then in 20 years, it's going to have some impact. And then in like yeah. 40 years, it's going to have major impact because then those are the women that are going to be the CEOs and they're going to be the next Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all these people. Basically, like I want to have like four female names that we're saying with that same rigor. And what's funny is that when you do look at all the top people in tech, like I just said, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and Bill Gates, Sergey Brin, all those people were tinkering with computers when they were children. So I think I want to see a similar story for four women that are, you know, starting young now that we'll see in 30 years what, what they create. So I think it'll probably take 30 years to kind of reap really the benefits of what I'm trying okay. to create. But I it's like, like 30, 30 years feels like forever. And it also feels like no time at all. But that I mean, when we think about like generational change, 30 exactly. years is not that much. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. it's an investment in the future now, and I think it's really the only way to do it correctly. So yeah, oh, I I love that, and I, I definitely appreciate you for leading the charge. Uh, final final tactical question for our our listeners at home: uh, What are what is your best advice? What are some of the ways that they can? support their daughters and their their girl children maybe even, i mean for all i know maybe even they're like they're non-binary like i don't know uh, but how can you support and and um how can you support that love of stem yeah that's a good question i think um providing tools for curiosity and kind of doesn't even have to be like physical things but prompting curiosity about how things work is so important. I mean, something that I really was, I remember my dad did was like, would show us the math and everything. So if we saw like a sunflower field, he'd like pull over and be like, look, the Fibonacci sequence is inside this flower. <laughs> things like that. It's free, you know, it doesn't yeah. have thing even. It's just really showing that some kind of patterns are there or just probing the curiosity somehow, I think is so key. So just taking a little time every day, maybe looking up like a math fact or a science fact and just going deep on that, I think can have lifelong effects on children. For sure. Well, but, but maybe not like tons and tons of math worksheets as enrichment, oh, like maybe, maybe not that, that didn't Don't seem do like that. Don't do that to your children. <laughs> Well, okay. So, so I love all that. And now, now we are, we are coming up to the human question and I find it really interesting. You know, you've mentioned your, your parents at, at a couple of different junctures. And so I'm going to 
I'm going to ask you, what is the greatest life lesson that they imparted to you outside of your love of STEM? Not to take life too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) All right. They're very practical jokers. Um, They're very goofy and they're really good at just, you know, that's what I've learned from them is like, you know, at the end of the day, it's okay. Try to laugh things off or try to find the joy or beauty in things and, and the humor in things and take some time to laugh every day and just not get too stressed about the reality, the harsh reality of life, which I know sounds fluffy and simple and not serious, but you know, no way that was, that was beautiful advice. <laughs> I, th- I think everybody could do with a little bit more joy in their life. Yeah. So, try to make so I love that. Laugh. I try to do that every day. I don't know. Weird thing. I try to do make a stranger laugh every day. So <laughs> Well, for for sure, make sure that your parents listen to this episode. I'm sure they're very, very proud of you. Uh, We are very, very grateful that you took the time out of your day to chat with us. Thank you so much for sharing the story of Eliza Dolls. Friends, if you're interested in getting your very own, uh, they, they are in early stages, but please know that we will provide some information in the show notes. Check it out and keep your Go to eyes. our website. Get on the email list. That's the yeah, best. Yeah, do, do all of those things and, and make sure to, to keep your eye on Eliza Dolls for sure. Another thing that we're going to ask you to do, if you are in a position where you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, let Full Scale help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit fullscale.io, all you need to do is answer a few quick questions, then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Fullscale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit fullscale.io. And friends, I am going to point you to our social media. Uh, The Fullscale production team is doing something kind of cool right now. Uh, We're putting out some video content, short snippets, little pieces of startup TV, uh, but trying to roll out little bite-sized morsels of advice and instruction for our members. I just saw one with Andrew Morgans, one of the other hosts of Startup Hustle. He's our Amazon e-commerce guru, and he was explaining the Amazon algorithm. And I don't even sell stuff on Amazon. And I was fascinated listening to this explanation because I was like, I had no idea how this worked. Uh, So definitely check those out. You can find them on our social. We've got Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find us all the places, but keep an eye out for, for that video content that we've been putting out. It's been pretty cool to watch. We are extraordinarily grateful, friends, that you keep on coming back week after week and listening to us. Uh, We are hoping, we hope to share your stories. So definitely get in touch and keep on coming back. We will catch you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.